You are listening to Feeding the Mouth That Bites You with Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer. A weekly podcast guide on parenting teens and launching them into the world. As always, we are joined by psychologist and author, Dr. Ken Wilgus. Hey everyone, and welcome back. On today's episode, we will be discussing anxiety, fear, and panic in teenagers. My name is Ashley Parrish. I am your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Jessica Pfeiffer. Hey there. And Dr. Ken Wilgus. So are we going to get this right this time? This is number three. We've, haven't <laughs> we tried this twice before? This has been a hard episode what for is, us to record. I'm so nervous. I'm just panicky, anxious about whether we're going to get this right. Well, I'm fearful. Yeah. It's such a great area. Third time's a charm. I, I hope so. It's a great area for us. It's not a great area for you. I don't know. I don't know. I hope not. I know. For some reason, this topic, which is so common from the mouths of my teenagers, anxiety, fear, um, a panic, they use those words all the time. Um, and it should be simple to discuss it. But we have tried recording this three times. And, <laughs> um, and so there's something that's not we're not able to get across that we'd like to get across. But sometimes I wonder if my kids are using these term anxiety, when I view the situation as something really normal, like a healthy, normal amount of stress, for example, I'm super anxious about this test. Mm. Well, of course you are. You didn't study or (laughs) 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 of course you are. It's a big test, you know? And so um, that's something that's normal. You can be fearful and anxious about things that are really normal and that you need to just face and get on with life. Um, But I hear it a lot from my kids, and I don't think they're all the same thing. I think there's a real thing uh, that's different and more serious than what they're dealing with, but sometimes they label it all the same. Right. That's right. And that's really where the problem gets into is kind of the language that you use. And and your daughter's not wrong when she says, I'm really anxious about the test tomorrow. But Mm -hmm. I think in helping parents to think about how or when I should intervene that's what makes it worthwhile to maybe get more precise with our language. So what I always find is a useful way of thinking about it is the difference between anxiety and fear. So if you think about it, it in whatever case you're describing, it's the thing the person is experiencing is they're, they're lit up, the fight-flight reaction. There's a, either a small or larger amount of adrenaline, maybe uh, you know, hot flash, uh, their stomach is a butterfly, maybe not a whole lot, but sometimes a whole lot. So uh, that's sort of the symptom or the physical feeling that we're talking about. So the source of that is what you get into. So essentially, uh, fear is when you have that uh, alerted physical reaction because of signals from your brain. That is, you are thinking about a thing that is scaring you. So, uh, you know, no one is going to be surprised if someone says, you know, I am really feeling uh, my heart racing because uh, someone told me there's a snake under my bed. Well, that's not a neurotic thing. That's like, well, we need to find out if there's a snake under your bed. But once we find out that there is no snake under your bed and uh, reasonable reassurance, we would expect that your body's sort of alert reaction would go back down. Anxiety, on the other hand, is... A different thing. It really is more like think about it more from the your body up. Your your body gets lit up uh, with the fight flight a reaction kind of, but you don't necessarily know what you're thinking about that's causing it. So it really kind of the the difference, and I think what's important between anxiety and fear, is essentially how defined is the threat that mm-hmm. you're 
thinking about. So when teenagers tell me they're feeling anxious or had a real moment of extreme anxiety, uh, you know, I always want to ask, well, what are you thinking about? But surprisingly or not surprisingly, very often they weren't specifically thinking about a particular threat. And and the, that's when the uh, alertness, the adrenaline uh, pumping uh, itself becomes a problem rather than the thing that you are fearful of is the problem. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the intervention is different. So that's why uh, you want to think about uh, whether your kid uses the word anxious or not. Uh, is it really a fear? That is, there's something that he or she is thinking about that they are considering a threat. Or is it a different, very vague, undefined uh, response to they don't they don't really know what it is. And that's a different thing uh, for parents to respond to. And in a minute, we'll talk about panic. I'm not going to talk about it now because that's, believe it or not, a whole different thing. But fear and anxiety really comes down to your own uh, how well can you identify the thing that you feel threatened by. Mm-hmm. Okay, so sometimes my kids are feeling true anxiety about something that's kind of vague, but they start to think, well, what is it that's causing me this? And they kind of pin it on something. Does that make sense? Like, yes. uh, I, I'm feeling really weird and my heart is racing. So I'm going to I'm going to have this. um I'm going to have to figure out what it is. Oh, it's, it must be that test. It must be that track meet that's coming up. How do you know um, whether they're just pinning it on, you know, one thing or if it, it really is total anxiety and it's just this internal. Yeah. See, that's exactly what's important. Like I remember one of the first times when I was at college and I was new to coffee, which I now live by, but coffee, uh, I can remember sitting at an 8 a.m. class and I hadn't had any breakfast, but I had a lot of coffee. And I remember suddenly thinking, do we have a test? And I, and I had this feeling, we must have a test that I forgot about. And it took me several minutes to realize that um, actually I'm trying to think <laughs> of this thing because I'm real raced up inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I was looking for a cause of it. So what you're talking about, Jessica, is exactly right, that in extreme cases, kids that have sort of free-floating anxiety will almost make stuff up. It's it's like I'm attaching some thought to this anxious feeling. That's what really makes parents upset. Like, no, the nice man just asked you, what do you want to eat? Why are you so – stop being afraid of him. That's an, a good example of when you're trying to use an intervention that would help fear. Sweetie, you're thinking the wrong thing, so let me help you with that. But if it's anxiety, which is what you describe, where it's, it's you know, you're feeling it, but I, I'm almost trying to pinpoint the threat, then those kids are rarely, if ever, comforted by that. Uh, and it makes parents pull their hair out with, what, what am I supposed to do with this constantly, this kid who constantly feels threatened, and it's like she's making stuff up, and I don't even get it. What is, well, that's, that's anxiety. It is less, mm-hmm. less focused, and the intervention uh, is, really needs to be different. So what do parents do, Dr. Ken, if they suspect that their teenager is struggling with anxiety? What should we be looking for? What are some clues or some cues? Yeah, that's so first of all, it's it has a lot to do with how often this kid feels alerted and threat. So the, the most common kids that I deal with when we're dealing with anxiety, which is significant anxiety uh, or an anxiety disorder, 
is like anytime we talked about a disorder, depression, same thing, is when this thing interferes with their normal functioning. And in those kids' case, one of the symptoms of when you know you need to do something different is this kid is always upset or, or easily rattled. Um, these are kids that, um, you know, kind of keep track of time, even as, as children, you know, uh, third grade. Uh, yes, Friday, you said we're going to after school, we're going to do this. And then on Saturday, they always know the schedule. They often are doing things to just keep their alert body kind of calm down. Uh, one of the ways is to try to prepare for the future. That means that when you change plans or something interferes, their 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 sense of fear or actually alert of threat goes way up and and it happens all the time. So parents know their kids that are uh, chronically anxious because they, they they're anxious about everything. They sort of feel it all the time. Uh, in those cases, uh, those are the times that it's really important to know that that is not essentially a fear problem. Stop telling your child, stop telling your teenager, no, you'll be fine. It's not that big a test. It just annoys teenagers for you to keep telling them they shouldn't be afraid. They know it. A lot of times they're actually ashamed that they feel this. So they don't even want to tell you and they're just trying to deal with it themselves. The alternative is to actually start identifying the anxiety itself and accepting that, you know, I know you're, you're talking about uh, going to this track meet, but you know, dude, this always lights you up. And, and so does, you know, first day of school. I know this really makes you anxious. And uh, did you sleep last night? Uh, are the, what, Remember, if you eat, it helps the anxiety. It, there are things you can do to help address essentially this problem now identified as sort of this overproduction of adrenaline rather than identify the problem of gee, it's not that bad a test. Uh, it's not a fear problem. It's an anxiety problem. And a lot of times, Teenagers uh, are now getting old enough and have enough insight that they can begin to think about how will I manage this almost allergic thing that my body does. And that's a different thing. You don't talk them out of it. You can certainly be compassionate. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they have to take on and figure out how they're going to manage this. And there's lots of uh, different ways to encourage self-care uh, sleeping, eating, um, um, exercise can help with that, um, asking them about what's helped before. Uh, but it's these are, again, not uh, interventions of talking you out of feeling this thing. It's accepting that you feel this, but I want to try to encourage you on how you can manage this thing. I think that's great that you just offered a few good self-treatments. I know that for one of my children specifically, it was sleep. I mean, man, if she got too little sleep, her anxiety level went up the next no, day. And that right. was huge for yeah. her was to get enough sleep. So when do we know uh, that it's beyond just what we can do at home, getting a good amount of sleep, eating, thinking through what what is triggering? When do we know to get professional help? And what does professional help look like in your office? How is it different than the conversations I might have? At, yeah, at my yeah, house? yeah, yeah, good. So one of the things that uh, once you, uh, this is about teenagers. So one of the things parents need to recognize is that like anything else, at, since teenagers are young adults and need ab above all to be handed more and more autonomy, then very often parents have spent much of this young person's childhood essentially 
taking care of the anxiety for them. Uh, they will go ahead and order for her in the at the restaurant. Uh, I'll go ahead and make the call to your friend's mom because you know, and and it can easily become, especially a good nurturing mother, uh, is going to be really good at just folding herself around this child's need and take care of it for him. Uh, the the especially by adolescence, I, if you know anything about what we talk about with planned emancipation, that is not good for this young adult. Uh, so you need to intentionally do less and less uh, to cover for them and try to consult with them about what are you going to do uh, about this thing. So definitely encouraging them in their own methodology of like sleep, those kind of things uh, is important. But part of helping a teenager to recognize whether this is a real problem or not means you need to step back and do less to cover for them. And then if you see that their anxiety is worse because, no, sweetie, I'm not going to call. You need to call. I get it. I know it's anxious, but you need to go ahead and go up there and tell them they got the wrong order. All those things that can first help to kind of uncover the uh, actual depth or severity of the anxiety. Uh, and, and then you can more easily distinguish if it's really interfering with functioning. Like, wow, if I don't actually do this for her, she will not do it. Um, ever getting out and connecting with a friend, um, mm -hmm. uh, going to school, then that is very often when a professional needs to be called in. And, and when a, an anxious teenager comes to my office, you first do an assessment of just how severe the anxiety is. And teenagers don't know it. You know, it's really funny that, you know, uh, what we call endogenous anxiety, that is that it, it's inherited. It's basically your physiology. The funny part is that one or both of his or her parents are going to be pretty anxious, most likely. Mm -hmm. uh, and secondly, the teenager has spent their life not knowing that they're anxious. You know, if you've always had this alertness and this easily uh, threatened physiology, uh, that's you, you didn't know there wasn't that there was a, such a thing as not that. Mm -hmm. So I like working with anxious, especially intelligent 14 to 16 year olds, because believe it or not, it's the first time they're really beginning to understand the use of the word anxiety, especially as it relates to not something you're doing wrong. But, dude, that's just kind of how you feel all the time. Mm -hmm. So their insight into that is important. And once we do a real uh, assessment of that, then there's uh, much of different techniques to try to help. A big part of it, like I say, is just helping the teenager to have insight into that's what that feels like. And that feeling is really uncomfortable for you. And um, and, and you can actually get over that. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to go too far into this, but, you know, very commonly a teenager has worked their life into such a tiny circle. They're like this little hob habit trail that goes from my house to the school, back to my house. I can go to this store and back. Uh, I don't drive even though I'm 17. You know, the, you can kind of avoid anxiety by having this tiny life and they don't actually experience anxiety. The, what they experience is annoyance. Like, hey, I need you to go to this. That's stupid. I'm not going to go to the store. What if you, you know, join this club? This is dumb. Well, they're actually pretty anxious. So helping them to gain insight into it is very important. But then secondly, I mean, if it's significant, uh, there's definitely some uh, many cases that the use of medication can really help to get mm -hmm. some handle on it. Uh, just so you'll know, that I think I've mentioned this before, medication with severe depression is pretty great. Like it can really do some great stuff. Medication for anxiety, uh, not as amazing, uh, in some cases really needed, but it's always a bit of a, 
uh, crapshoot about, you know, does this kid really even recognize how well they feel with it? But it, it is certainly uh, in some cases needed or this this kid will never leave home, not go to college, has almost no friends. That's a pretty significant amount of broad based alert uh, physical threat that all the talking them into it in the world isn't going to uh, change. Mm hmm. And that can't be good for their physical health either. That's yeah. the other thing is the stress of being limited by all of those things cannot be good for their heart, their brain, their bodies. Very true. So, Dr. Ken, let's circle back around to fear. What are some of the common fears teenagers have? Yeah, you know, and, and that's a, it's it's the kind of thing that they will say I'm anxious about. But keep in your own mind that it's fear. One of the biggest ones is, especially for adolescents, is social anxiety. Mm -hmm. And there are levels of social anxiety that are quite normal, even though they're pretty painful. I, I don't know about you, but seventh grade, ugh, I was <laughs> just, you know, it just, it, I, you, you just, it, you have this new self-consciousness uh, and you have this assumption that everyone is looking at you the way you're looking at you. Right. And, it, and it's, it's a dread. So that is a real fear. It's not even accurate necessarily, but it is absolutely a fear. How will people... Uh, accept me. Another common fear is just their uh, achievement, uh, whether it's in the thing they're really kind of invested in, their athletics, their academics, those sort of things. Uh, those are important fears. And again, even though they may say I'm real anxious and that you don't have to correct them, in your own mind, those are the things that, two things, number one, by intervening in really discussing the fear, like do you really think that's how everyone looks at you? Uh, because, you know, I, I don't think you're seeing yourself realistically. Things to help them kind of rethink their uh, thoughts, that can be helpful. But secondly, almost always what helps things to get better is just experience. You're scared to death in seventh grade. By ninth grade, who cares? I got this. I own this place. You know, whatever. <laughs> that, that your experience helps you to not have that same thought pattern that is causing you to feel threatened. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with most parents, we don't want to overreact, but our fear for parents is right. underreacting. Yeah, okay. you know, and it's you know, you you know, you mean you fear that what if I don't react enough as a parent? Yeah, like I I want to sometimes you know, oh, I'm scared to do this or I'm anxious to do that, and my kind of knee jerk response is you know, get on in there, you know, like suck it up, Buttercup. <laughs> yeah, well. I'll just tell you my prejudice because, you know, I'm a psychologist, so I work with uh, families that are struggling. People don't come to make an appointment to tell me everything's great. Right. So I, I'll tell you that based on what I see, uh, I would have uh, – I wouldn't be too worried about uh, underreacting. I think parents uh, have much more tendency to overreact to okay. – especially with teenagers. You know, it's, it's one of the big themes of this podcast is that when you're trying to raise young adults – you need to prepare them for autonomy. And so, uh, you know, and anxiety is a really good example where you might have worked out a way that look what I do for him. Uh, you know, I take care of this for him and look how good I am as a parent that you're not helping him to get uh, figure out how he's going to manage this for himself. So I, I, I'm sure there's some that underreact, but um, most of what I see is overreacting uh, and, and making essentially making this teenager's discomfort a big issue for me as a parent, that I must do something about it. And no, actually, you need to 
increasingly help your teenager to think through what are, is she going to do about it. Right. So I'd like to ask you a question that's pretty specific to the times that we're in. As far as this pandemic is going, yeah. what are you seeing as for fear and anxieties that people may have never had before that now they have, yeah. or maybe some that are going away? You know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sure other psychologists are like me as a behavioral scientist. I feel bad for everything that's happening, but I also find it really interesting because you, you <laughs> just can't. I don't know what your experience has been, but it's almost hard to guess who's going to have a much more freak out about this uh, mm -hmm. than others. Uh, it's a good example. You know, the pandemic is mostly an unfocused fear. We don't actually know. Uh, how, when to and how to respond to this because it's invisible. Mm -hmm. So uh, it and that that is an uh, essentially an anxiety because it's a it's an unfocused thing to fear. And I you know you may you could talk uh, about your own experience of you know there are certain people the one thing you don't have is is a lot of people that are going I don't know. There are people that uh, that line up on, you know, the people are overreacting. It's not a big deal. I'm done with that. And other people that are like, you're at home alone and you don't have a mask on? What is wrong? <laughs> you, but nobody's comfortably in the middle. People are lining up. That That's how they react, you know, to this feeling of threat. For our teenagers, I, I think it's even more vague because they really don't get, they don't have the experience to really get the implications that we as parents can have. And so a lot of my parents are dealing with teenagers that are under responding. They actually need to be more fearful, if you will, uh, because um, they, they don't really recognize some of the uh, implications. And in that case, uh, you know, those are parents that are having to accurately describe these concerns to their teenagers but not let their own fear and anxiety get in the way. So I think, it, you know, the pandemic is a really helpful Rorschach test for all of us to sort of look into this unknown void of uh, uh, how bad is it and is it close to me and really recognize in ourselves uh, just how fearful uh, we are, which, of course, is a matter of faith as well. So mm -hmm. most of the time parents are having to talk to under responsive teenagers in explaining to them how they should respond uh, or what they need to be careful about in the midst of this big mist of, yeah, we don't actually know. I mean, you know, we're not quite sure. We're all looking for news and information. So that that's a, an unusual situation that probably everybody needs to be reminded. This isn't going to be this way in a year. It'll mm -hmm. still be vague to some degree, but not like it is now. This will mm -hmm. get better and probably best to talk more about, look, for now, I'm going to say no. Or for now, I know, I get it. Me too. I'm anxious. But, you know, this is not done yet. Uh, and it will be better in a few months. Probably a big part of it is just keeping um, everyone aware of where we are in this so that people uh, don't catastrophize that, you know, this is the new normal. It'll always be this way. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. Well, and I know some of our anxieties uh, in my family are centered around the future. Just what's going to happen with school next year? What is going to happen with my son who's going back to college? Will right. we have a normal schedule? All the unknowns that are out there that we think about and we talk about and we are concerned about. So some of it isn't even the fear of being sick as it is the fear of how life has changed and will change in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, you know, that's and I just find these these are really great opportunities to 
recognize some of the real comfort that otherwise passages of scripture that are annoying. Like, you know, when, when, the, when James says, uh, come now, you who say we'll go to such and such city and live for a year and do business. And, you know, and he basically goes, you don't know anything. You don't know tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, most of my life, especially when I was young, that was annoying. It's like, yeah, I do. I, I can, I can stand. And days like today, it's like, yeah, that's right. I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And the Lord's, Lord's actually in charge. Well, that's actually kind of comforting. You mm-hmm. know, when Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow, uh, that's actually comforting that uh, I don't know. But for younger people, it's harder. And I do think that it's a, a, a really fertile ground for our faith to really be working. Not a little lesson but actually starting by taking your own temperature that, yeah, I don't know about what's going to happen in the fall, and I'm really worried about it. And the fact that God is in charge doesn't really mean enough to me. And, it, you know, it can kind of help you to recognize your own need for faith in these circumstances. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to teenagers, again, you'll be tempted to over respond. You'll uh, get mad at them for still worrying, and it feels wrong to say, uh, you know, I don't know either. You know, it's gonna, it's gonna be terrible if they don't uh, have that league this fall. It's, I know that feels like, oh, I shouldn't say that. I should say some patronizing wrap-up thing that will help my little sweetie to feel better. Not with young adults. It will mm-hmm. annoy them, and they are frankly uh, a little more calmed by being uh, at least acknowledged that, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I find that to be scary and unknown, and I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's obvious that the adults around here don't have any answers. So the kids know this. <laughs> they know yeah. that we're we're just <laughs> as lost as they are. <laughs> as long as the adults know that they don't have the answers, then yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, let's wrap up with panic. Panic sounds like a really heavy word. I think if any of us were experiencing panic, that we would recognize it quickly. Dr. Ken, would we recognize panic in our teenagers? Well, when I use the word panic, of course, I'm talking about a panic disorder or a panic mm-hmm. attack. So um, and that is a, uh, a when your heart is a sudden onset of, mm-hmm. of body's threat reaction. Your heart is racing, you're shallow breathing, you're sweaty, uh, your chest hurts. And in the worst case, you really I always ask this. Did you think you were going to die? Yes, I did. Those are really bad experiences. So if fear is focused on a particular threat, anxiety is when your body is alert and it's a vague or undefined threat, panic is is almost on a further continuum where it's not even a mental thing. Uh, it, it Panic occurs it, it, uh, very often when it surprises people. Someone will tell me that, you know, Dr. Woods, I had just finished setting up for the wedding and I had done all this and it was and it was going to be fine. And then when I was driving home of all things, that's when I had to pull over because I was panicking. Panic is almost best understood as a physical response. Uh, the closest thing my wife ever had to a panic attack was after she had surgery. And, and it was her her body's ability to handle the stress was easily overloaded. And that's what panic is, is when stress of all the different definitions, different things that you're experiencing, uh, overloads your body's ability to kind of manage it. And it's really like a physical reaction. So you don't, you definitely don't look for, well, what was I afraid of? It is not that panic is not a fear thing per se. And secondly, you definitely don't talk someone down from panic with, you're fine, you're good. It's 
they're 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 going to throw up. They're lying on the ground. Mm-hmm. Panic is uh, absolutely a try to just be with them, let it pass. Uh, you could certainly reassure them that this feels terrible. It will pass. Keep breathing. Things like that help them not to hyperventilate. Uh, but a panic attack is something that you definitely should go talk to your physician and or psychologist really after one. I always hate when people come and tell me, well, I've been having panic attacks on and off for two years. And I'm like, ah, you don't have to have that. That can be fixed uh, with a regimen of cognitive understanding about what to do about it. But sometimes the proper medicine that's used very little but mm-hmm. might be needed, it, you, you can absolutely intervene in a way where you don't have to have panic on any kind of a regular basis. So okay. panic, you know, so if it's on a continuum, see what I mean? If fear mm-hmm. is really something that you're focused threat, don't even worry about what the threat is with panic. It's almost like your body is just uh, over sudden overreaction of a threat response that it, it rarely matters or is often very illogical to what was going on at the time of the panic attack. Mm-hmm. And sometimes panic attacks, just one can really speed up quite a few more. Just the fear of or anxiety of having another panic attack because it's such exactly. an awful feeling causes exactly. multiple. It's a secondary fear. And I'll always ask. So after the panic attack, do you now kind of in the back of your mind uh, worry that, oh, I'm feeling a little alerted. Is, is this going to result in panic? And very mm-hmm. commonly, that's a secondary effect. That's why you really need to figure out or learn how to make sure you don't ever have panic so that you can get past that secondary worry of what if I panic? And mm-hmm. so it, that you definitely want to see a professional. I, I don't see any reason for you not to talk to a professional if you if your teenagers had even one mm-hmm. a real panic attack. Uh, then sure, there's, I would consult with a professional. Well, I think this episode has been much clearer this time of recording. I feel so calm now. <laughs> and I appreciate the clarification between anxiety and fear and panic. And I appreciate you talking about how fear is on one end of the continuum, anxiety is somewhere in the middle, and panic is on an opposite extreme. It really helped me to understand where in this continuum we might be at different times. And uh, thank you both for your wisdom and for your conversation. Good job, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Also, leave us a review. This is how other listeners find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Feeding the Mouth. We appreciate you and would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas about what we've discussed today, please email us at podcast at feedingthemouth.com.